For many centuries, our society has relied upon you, a jury, for consideration of difficult cases. For hundreds of years, we have recognized that a juror's deliberations, their discussions, and their thoughts and votes should remain their private affair for as long as they wish it. Therefore, the law gives you the unique privilege not to speak about your jury's work. From the day in New London, Connecticut, I'm Sten Spinella, and this is Looking for the Toe Family. Although at this point you are discharged with our thanks for your six days of jury service and are at liberty to speak with anyone you choose about your deliberations. Whenever we are in the throes of reporting on the Tote family tragedy and we figure we have the available information, something else comes up. This time it was Manny Lazada, one of the 12 jurors who put Tony Tote in prison for four consecutive life sentences. Hello. Hi, Manny. Yes, hi. Lazada reached out to us in an attempt to strengthen our story. He found out about the podcast after the trial and was surprised to learn that a lot of information on the totes was suppressed in the courtroom. He returned the favor for us, letting us learn about the inner machinations of the deliberative body that convicted Tony for murdering his family. What you're about to hear is a lightly edited interview with Lazada, and inside information about the case that has never been aired publicly. If we could just start, my first question for you is, um, what is your general opinion of Tony? And if you could also comment on this, how did the rest of your peers and the jury feel about him? My personal opinion was that he, it was, uh, it, it was all about control. He thought that he would control the entire trial. He had that confidence in him that that we could perceive sort of like uh, going a little bit more into arrogance rather than just plain confidence. Uh, He thought that he would manipulate us. In our chambers, we talked about how narcissistic he acted. It was all about him, basically. Did you ever change your mind during the trial? Like, were there times when you thought maybe Tony was innocent? I remember in the beginning of the, the, actually before the trial started, they handed us a questionnaire. And I remember one of the questions was, if there is a a, um, pact or an agreement between citizens to take their life if if the government should allow that to happen or or something along those lines some something like in a way to 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 uh, make look like suicide is something that would be sanctioned by the government um that what was our opinion about it and and I said in in my answer, I remember I I said, well, if they already committed suicide, there's nothing for anyone else to 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 argue. It it was painted to us as this was an agreement, but from the get go, I went with the mindset that you know, remembering that question, that it was something that they as a family thought that there was no way to fix and that there was only one way out 
And I felt a little bit of, uh, you know, compassionate about it. And I wanted to hear what the story was. But as it went along, then it it became clear that that was just a fabrication. What happened when the jury was deadlocked for about an hour? Like, how did you all end up at that point? So out of the the entire group, we were 14. And um, 12 out of the 14 were convinced that he was guilty. But two of them had doubts about the way that the government or the prosecution presented the case. There were many unanswered questions. So uh, the the two had doubts. They they were they knew that he was guilty, but they had doubts that the prosecution presented the case beyond a reasonable doubt. At the end of the, you know, when when we finally went to deliberate, two people were taken out from the from from the jurors uh, because they they were designated as the the backups i think um that what the the right terminology was but so one of those individuals that would have their doubts he remained in the group with the final 12 and he basically that was what kept us for over you know many hours it was just it wasn't just one hour i mean we were we were for about seven hours trying to <laughs> trying to convince him that you know that yeah I, there were there were many areas that were not explained to us properly for example we had questions about what was in their computers if was there any search or in the phones and nothing like that was presented so he he needed that other information in order to paint a more clear picture in his mind and everybody else the the the, the other 11 we were 100 percent convinced because i never bought any of the story of the pact or anything like that he actually threw out threw, threw that out the window in, during his testimony Wow, that sounds like kind of a tense situation, um, this sort of like 11 to 1 scenario. How did you bring the one uh, detractor over to your side? One of us, uh, actually, mo- uh, there were a couple of a couple of us that were trying to strategize ways to paint the picture so that he would not have those doubts, right? And one of the one of the things that we really pondered a lot was the way in which the the wife allegedly killed herself. It was not possible for a person to stab herself twice, and 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 they were not lethal wounds anyway. So there had to be more to that, but. Again, the prosecution did not provide that overwhelming proof to us. So I think what really 
gotten convinced because after so many hours we were we were getting frustrated but what really convinced him to change his mind was somebody said if we find him guilty he will have the opportunity to appeal and if he, ultimately he was not guilty he would you know that will be cleared but if he's guilty and we find him not guilty then he's done and he's going to be in the streets and he's going to be you know is a guilty person that we just let him out because of one simple technicality so i could i we could not live with that i could not live with that you've mentioned this a little bit about the the jury's impression of the prosecution um what did you think of the legal teams in general like did you think the defense did a good job do you think the jury liked one side more than the other the defense i think uh in in our opinion i think it was a, a little bit of a roller coaster because they allowed him to testify and and that's what really sealed it for us um when he testified his demeanor more than his story his demeanor was like unbelievable it was when the defense was asking him, him questions he would look at us to say the answers just looking at every single one of us in the eye when the prosecution asked their questions he would not even look at us so his demeanor told us a lot and and he was very antagonistic and, and belligerent against the prosecution so so we you know and and that's one of the things that for us um we we commented that we wanted to really really see behind like in, in between the lines what what his motives and, and his and and his demeanor was because the testimony was conflicting with everything that he he said in his confession in the video that they played so we had to go by more than that we had to like we had to really read him when he was right there in front of us yeah and i know the prosecution said at the end something about how he was like kind of you know remorseful and crying during the defense but more angry and like you mentioned like antagonistic during the prosecution and i was going to ask you what made you know that tony was guilty um if something specific happened it was his testimony would you say yes and it, like you said not necessarily even his testimony itself but his um demeanor his demeanor and, and that helped us make a a, a a more complete assessment because his his confession although for the most part i believe it was it was correct it was accurate but the the motives were not what he said about that pact or or that his wife was sick none of the the family members ever you know the, even a, a, after the trial was over that there was the aunt that spoke there in the sentencing part she said there was they had no knowledge of any debilitating illness that she ever had so all that was made up plus in his own testimony he exaggerated 
that and then put all the blame into her, that we did not buy that at all. Do you think the prosecution did a good job or do you think you guys came to understand, you know, what you think Tony's motive was for, for carrying these out? During the process, we we could not understand why why there were some some areas that were not even explored, like uh, you know, computer searches or or phones or things like that. But then after the fact, I understood because there was something else that was never even mentioned to us, which was the. He, he was he was being uh, investigated for fraud up north. We had no idea at all uh, on on those charges. We had no idea that they were federal agents. In fact, we we didn't even know that one of the one of the witnesses that they interviewed that was you know we were told that he was a, a law enforcement agent. I had no idea that he was a federal agent. That came from out of state. No idea. I was going to ask you if you guys were aware of this healthcare fraud investigation, and I, I'll just tell you, you know, we also found it odd that the jury wasn't even told how police ended up at Tony's house. It was because of that healthcare fraud investigation that they even went inside. They had a warrant for his arrest. For us, it was um, the the reason was one hundred percent because of the welfare check by his sister. That was what uh, we were told, and we were told nothing else. How much did you know about the tow case, and how much, I guess, you know, media about the tow case did you consume either before, during, or after the trial? Before the trial, I remember um, seeing or hearing the, the, just the headline Hearing that story about two years ago, nothing more than that. Looking back, I do remember something about fraud uh, being investigated, but at the time of the trial, I completely forgot about that. I had no idea when we were being presented all the, the evidence. Plus, even if I even thought of that, I could not even bring it up in our discussion because it wasn't presented. So I, you know, I guess thank goodness that I, I completely forgot about that because I only, I, it was only like a, a matter of less than a minute headline that I heard or saw or read somewhere, but nothing more than that. Now, during, during the trial, we were 100% forbidden of looking up anything. So I, you know, kept that and, and I did not even discuss it with my wife, which was very very, um, um, I guess, traumatizing for me because the stuff that we were examining and, you know, mainly the pictures of the children, that was very, very, very tough for me. And I could not even express how I felt to my, to my wife. After the trial, the first thing I did when I came home I asked my wife, can you please pull pictures of the family when they were still alive? Because I never saw them before. 
And as uh, as soon as I saw those faces and the, the children and, and and wife, I started crying for I don't know how long. Yeah, that must have been tough. Um, I appreciate you sharing that. And also, um, that must have been a relief to be able to tell your wife uh, uh, what you were doing for the past week. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I don't have too many more questions for you, but I am wondering um, if there were any big disagreements aside from, you know, the deadlock at the end among the jury um, during deliberation. And what did you guys... What factors of the case did you guys focus on the most? There were no disagreements. We were a very, very cohesive group. Um, I mean, during during the uh, presentation of evidence and all that, we could not discuss it. Even when we were in, in our room, we could not even discuss that. But after the liberation started, that's when, that's when things started coming up, like, the person that was um, having his doubts, I don't even remember hearing his voice at all during the the previous six days. And when he spoke up, he said, I'm not convinced. You know? Oh, wow. So it, it, it was like all the way until the very end. <laughs> That's like the kind of thing you hear about happening, uh, like in movies or whatever, but to have that hold out, not really say anything and then speak up at the end. That must've been kind of annoying for the people who'd been carrying yeah. the conversation. Yep, exactly. We thought it would be a question of going in there and, and doing, okay, yeah, this is guilty 100%. Let's sign this paper and let's go in. And that did not happen like that. So <laughs> I guess I want to ask you, you know, what was your overall impression of, um, uh, of the trial of the jury deliberations, like, are you, I mean, I know technically in most cases, nobody wants to <laughs> be on it to, to do jury du duty, but like, were you satisfied with, um, your service and the conclusion? Yes. 100%. I, I'm able to, to, to sleep at night knowing that I did the right thing. Is there anything that you want to add about the trial that you'd like us to include in the podcast? I just think that um, the whole process was, um, it was my first time being a juror. And to me, it was, it was, it was almost traumatizing. Um, it is a duty that everyone would call upon, we must do. But my goodness, I... There, it took some time for me to to just open up and, and heal and, and open up because it was very traumatizing. About a month ago, I went to a birthday party from one of my close friends, and it was a the, his his little girl fourth year of old uh, birthday party. She was turning four. And I started crying. I I started crying because it was it was like it brought back all those images. I'm kind of glad that I have not had to see those pictures, and I can't imagine what that was like. And I, I'll just tell you, I don't know if you know this, but like the defense, Tony's defense tried to get those photos thrown out of the trial, like not used in the trial. What's your opinion of that? Obviously, that would have helped them, but. 
you know, it would have meant that you wouldn't have had to see the pictures. So what are your thoughts on that? For us, it had to be, it, it was something that needed to be there for, for us to examine. And not only because of the crime committed, but also because of the gruesome details of how that family was found um, with him living there for almost three weeks it was inconceivable and I think looking at those very graphic pictures made us paint a, a better picture of, of his demeanor again we go back to the, the matter of fact the, the me 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 and the, the narcissistic way of him presenting himself and then going back to our room and looking at those pictures there is there, there was no doubt in my mind you know so I, I think in anyone's mind it was just a technicality that 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 gentleman was was posing but other than that we knew for sure that that he was guilty If you haven't already, please subscribe to Looking for the Tote Family on your favorite podcast app. And don't forget to rate the show. Find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Looking for the Tote Family is hosted and reported by Sten Spinella, produced by Peter Huapi and Carlos Virhen, written by Sten Spinella and Peter Huapi, editing by Peter Huapi, and music by Carlos Virhen. Tim Cotter is our executive editor and Izaskun Larnieta is our managing editor. This has been a production of The Day in New London, Connecticut.